Previously, on Snicktoons. I was joined once again by my oldest son, Maxton, and together he and I broke down X-Men the Animated Series, Season 5, Episode 8, Hidden Agendas, featuring Cannonball, one of his favorite X-Force members. So it was a lot of fun to have him back on. Great conversation, kind of went all over the place. Um... So yeah, if you haven't listened to last week's episode, make sure you go back and give it a listen. Great episode. And of course, stay tuned as myself and returning special guest host watch and break down X-Men the Animated Series Season 5, Episode 9, Descent. All right, Bub, as you heard at the top of the show, we are back with a returning special guest, and I'm really glad to have this guy on. Uh, I had originally had plans for this episode, and they they kind of fell through, not necessarily at the last moment, but pretty close to at the last minute, and uh, I was able to reach out to Ryan Sanio of SanioCast, a returning guest, and he was able to jump on with like less than a week notice, and I really appreciate that, so Ryan, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for saving this episode. I really appreciate you being here, man. Oh, yeah. Thank you for having me back. I'm excited to get one more in before the end of this version of the show. Yes. And I'm glad that I was able to to get you back on. Uh, I was looking at the schedule beforehand. Anyway, I was like, I don't even have Ryan in here. Like, this is a travesty. And so it it ended up working out in the end uh, that we were able able to get you back on. And, like, the rare episode that isn't, like, a Claremont-heavy episode or an Archangel episode, those seem to be, like, your bread and butter. And then we get this, like, this kind of a random, like, one-off episode, very strange episode for a penultimate episode. Of course, we can talk more about that when we when we get to our actual breakdown, but mm-hmm. kind of a strange uh, turn of pace for you. Um, but, yeah, again, thank you so much for, for coming on. Yeah, this was kind of serendipitous um because at least in terms of uh current day uh the newest marvel champions box came out and sinister happens to be one of the villains in the the set so i've had sinister on my mind for the last eight or nine days oh wow (laughs) that's cool yeah that that design is actually like really cool like in the fact that uh Obviously, it's leaning more towards a little bit more of an, a current Mr. Sinister, although I would say probably it doesn't necessarily reflect the 90s, but his entire like scenario is built around the idea that he could have flight or he could have telepathy or he could have super strength, uh, depending on the kind of alternate paths you go through in the scenario. So to see, huh. to see Madman, uh, Essex in this episode was kind of like, yeah, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. Yeah, that's awesome. I I love Mister Sinister. He's he's one of my favorite X Men villains. I don't think that I would say that he's my top villain, but he's up there. Like he he's got to be up there. He's just such a cool villain. <laughs> uh, such an interesting story with him. And uh, yeah, it, in the hands of like a really good writer, they they really do fun things with him. 
And then, as you were mentioning, like when you see him kind of taken out of the comic books and, and applied to other things that are mm-hmm. X-Men, there's so many fun possibilities that you get when Mr. Sinister is involved just because of like how rich of a character he is. Yeah, I'm actually, in reflecting back, was a little surprised that we've been hinted at him before, but we've never actually seen him in any live-action movies, which is, uh, I think, the the fans that aren't aware of the character in this setting are missing out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's a bummer that we never got uh, anything further. I know that, like, they were hinting at him. That, you know, they, they started dropping the Essex Corp kind of hints at the end of mm-hmm. uh, Apocalypse. There was some mentions of Essex in uh, New Mutants. And I know originally there there were rumors that he was supposed to make an appearance and he was supposed to be the one that was pulling the strings, uh, you know, behind the scenes of all of this stuff. But, yeah, it's a shame that we never got to him. It is kind of weird that they never brought him in sooner either. Like, they, they kept going back and forth with, like, Magneto and Xavier all the mm-hmm. time, even, like, in the when they decided to kind of, like, reboot the series but do, like, a soft reboot by making them prequels. Even then, it was like, all right, cool, like, we've got room for Sinister now. And then they didn't do that. I always did kind of feel, though, that, like, the Sebastian Shaw that we got in X-Men First Class was, like, equal parts Sebastian Shaw and Mm -hmm. equal parts Nathaniel Essex. Because the whole, like, long-lived and, you know, geneticist, that's not Sebastian Shaw at all. Like, (laughs) that's totally Essex. Um, And, like, Essex is the kind of guy that you would find, like, working with the Nazis, right? Not necessarily working with the Nazis, but, like, taking advantage of what the Nazis were doing um, for his own, kind of like, you know, like Red Skull does where he's, he's not really working with them, but he's allied himself with them because he's like, all right, well, these guys are a means to an end. Like that's exactly where you would find Essex in the 1940s, probably. Yeah. I'm getting this like flashback memory because uh, in the early like 2010s, I guess maybe just before that, like 2008, 2009, I had had this idea for a comic book. And one of the things that I kind of came up with was that there was a character who was sort of like long lived. And when I later found out about Mr. Sinister, because that was just before I really dove d- deep into the X-Men um, and I became much more aware of that Mr. Sinister. I was like, you know, I don't think anybody would really penalize me for using this character. But man, is this character accidentally very similar to Mr. Sinister? <laughs> Right on. Also a great name, <laughs> Mr. Sinister. Yes. Oh, gosh. Like, way to wear your, your heart on your sleeve there. But, like, it, you wouldn't expect it from anyone else. But, like, for Mr. Sinister, it's like, oh, yeah, this is – only this guy would choose this name for himself. <laughs> like, the dude's – oh, he's fun. He uh, He's fun. I, I know that, like, modern-day Mr. Sinister sometimes gets, like, a bad reputation for being, like, a little too flashy or flamboyant. But, like, if you go back and read, like, Inferno and his earliest appearances and even some of the stuff that we got in, like, the very early 90s, he was always like this. Like, he was always this flamboyant kind of guy who was, like, super arrogant and, like, talked down to everyone around him, but, like, in a really witty way where Mm -hmm. you knew that he was being condescending, but it didn't sound like it. Like, he's always been that kind of character, like, super flashy, like, all eyes on me. Uh, so like I've, I've really kind of like rewarmed up to Mr. Sinister, especially in the pages of Hellions. So oh, I've, yeah, been yeah, on, yeah. I've, I've been on your podcast 
the Sanio cast and we mm-hmm. talked about, you know, Hox Pox. Um, but I think you were still like in the very early stages of getting into the Krakoa run. Have you been able to track down any more of the Krakoa era, the Hickman era and, and read any further into it past like Dawn of X? Uh, I am getting very close to, uh, I guess that would be Swords of Ten, I think. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and, and, and I'm actually really enjoying it. Uh, the, the, the problem became that once I got Marvel Unlimited, it opened me up to everything. Oh, and suddenly, yeah. yep. <laughs> just being like, oh, well, you know, I, I, I've heard like other podcasts talk about this era of the Avengers or talk about this era of Spider-Man. And so, kind of inadvertently, I find myself just randomly in the 80s or the 90s all the time. Um, <laughs> I, I I completely forgot because I, I had, for free comic book day, the one of the comic book stores around here didn't have any of the free comics. So oh. they were just like, we are letting everybody just take three of any comic. Like anything that's not in a in a bag, it was just three free comics. And so I took oh. three copies of Hellions, knowing full well that I wasn't there yet. But yeah, Mr. Sinister's right on the cover. Um, haven't read them yet. Because <laughs> then right <laughs> after that, my wife was like, should we just, should we just get, um, Marvel Unlimited? Because like the things I wanted to read, like, it would just be cheaper. And so while I have been reading a lot of comics, they've been kind of separated and unfortunately haven't really like made that last push into the big $75 trade of uh, Swords of X. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's well, good I, though. And, and, and even like what we're, what we, uh, we're kind of going to briefly touch on tonight. Um, obviously is a little bit of a spoiler for where the, that story is, but at the same time, not enough that I actually have any context for anything that's necessarily going on. Okay. All right. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Um, Dude, when you, when you jump into Hellions, I feel like once Hellions came onto the scene, cause it was a little bit afterwards, like I remember one of the launch titles of the Hickman era was like Fallen Angels and that was telling the story of Quanin, but it mm-hmm. ended up only being three issues. It was supposed to be an ongoing, but I just, I think it was like the first kind of flop uh, yeah. of all of them, you know, like everyone was picking up all of the other titles and that one mm-hmm. kind of fell by the wayside. Um, which is too bad. Like, it, I didn't mind it. I didn't think it was terrible or anything. But when that one ended, they were like, well, shoot, like, we have to fill another slot here because we have so many slots and, you know, we have to have another title in here. And they, they launched Hellions after that, also with Mr. Sinister and also mm-hmm. with Quanin. And then, but they bring in some other characters. And it's like, it's this hodgepodge group of just like mutant castoffs that are always like the odd men out on their teams or, or whatever. Um, and, and they put them together and I, I hate to draw comparisons to like suicide squad. Cause it's not really, it, it's not really that, mm-hmm. but, but if there was a book that kind of fit that mold where it was like the, the kind of like the outsider characters that, that form and actually are like a good squad, um, even though they don't get along and like they're, they have all these ulterior motives and the person that's running the team is shady as heck. Like mm-hmm. that's Hellions. Yeah. And I feel like it ended up with like the best art, like of all the artists that are on all the books, I forget who's mm-hmm. on Hellions, but like the artist for Hellions, I feel is better than like, it's better than the X-Men book. It's better than like Excalibur or uh, it's better than like X-Force, like the big name books that you would expect, like the top line artists to be on. 
that's not who they're on. They're like, yeah, we'll put you on Hellions, whatever. Like, it's kind of like a throwaway title. And it, like, it low-key becomes the best title of all of the ones that are coming out because of Mr. Sinister, because of mm-hmm. Quanin, because of um, Havoc's on the team. Like, it's a really interesting team. And they're just, like, none of them care. Like, they're just out there sort of doing the missions for whatever reasons. They all have their own reasons. It's a lot of fun. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I'm I'm really excited for you to get to like to Helia. I'm sorry. It's like Novia looks like it's the artist. Oh, oh okay. This is, oh, oh, Wells does this too. See, I I think I've I recognize the cover of Hellions One. I might have read Hellions One. Okay. Um, God, I I didn't realize that Wells wrote that, or it didn't stick with me. Oh yeah, because this is yeah okay. The covers I can see. Sword X of Swords is like six issues in, so I probably have hit at least one of these. But nice. I could have sworn that I had like 20, like the issue I picked up was like 20 or 25, but I don't see that as even like the numbers go up that high. Yeah, I I know that they've like, they seem to reboot all the titles after like issue, like around in, in the early 20s. Mm-hmm. I'm just, I, it's funny because when, when you and I recorded the Hawks Pox episode for your podcast, mm-hmm. I was like, Oh, I'm a few issues away from the Hellfire Gala. I'm getting really close. And then I just put it down and like stopped reading. I think at, at, right after that is like I had canceled Marvel Unlimited for a while. And mm-hmm. then I got it back in March of this year and I haven't really read a whole lot of stuff. Like definitely haven't uh, gotten my money's worth these last few months, but um, I had Brett Scott on for Marvel Plus a couple episodes mm-hmm. ago. And he was saying that he he was reading the Claremont run and kind of fell off the Claremont run. But so he's been reading the Hickman stuff. And Mm -hmm. that got me like, oh, man, I should really like I'm not really do. I'm not watching any shows right now. Um, I'm like playing solitaire at night on my phone before (laughs) I sleep. Like I can just read comics instead. Uh, So so I started going back through and now I'm I'm like one issue away on all the titles to the actual Hellfire Gala now. So I'm not, I'm not like, I'm a lot closer. Like I've read one more of each issue um, to this point. So I'm really looking forward to getting to the Hellfire Gala, but the, the hell, the Hellion stuff, like I don't want to spoil anything for you, but like the fallout from the 10 of swords storyline with Hellions is super interesting. Um, So I'm, I'm really curious to see where that goes. Huh? Yeah, because I the, the Hellfire Gala has been something that I see, like I don't see a lot of Marvel like ads or posts on anything very often. The Hellfire Gala always like spikes in. It's like, hey, this is happening this year. Here's the here's the breakdown of the what everyone's wearing this year, and I'm like, I gotta get around to this. <laughs> Yeah, it's this big, huge event. Uh, it, it, like it crosses over into all the books and all the mutants mm-hmm. get together. And it seems that they use that as like the launching point for like the next wave of storylines. Like I know in the, in the, the first, like, I don't know, like the first phase, I guess, of like the Hickman era when it comes to an end after the Hellfire Gala, then, then they have like the X-Men vote and then all the titles like, switch over some of them like drop off and then they're replaced with like new titles that like, I feel like Excalibur fell off and then it became like Knights of X. And then I think now it's Excalibur again or, or new Excalibur, mm-hmm. but they've kind of do this thing where 
they they do a year of stories. They throw the Hellfire Gala. It culmin it's like the culmination of all of the storylines, and and it's like the excuse to kind of kick off the next phase. And then the status quo changes, and then all mm-hmm. the titles are different. And then they're like, all right, cool. Here's the focus for the next kind of year or phase or whatever until the next Hellfire Gala. So knowing that there's like one every year now, I'm really itching to get into this thing, and I'm, I'm really glad that. Uh, Brett was kind of able to light that fire again, and and now I'm I'm back into the uh, the Hickman era and reading those again. If there is anything that comes from doing these podcast episodes with anybody Marvel, it's always that I I generally leave going, I got to do more podcasting <laughs> or I got to read more comics. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep, that's exactly right. It ha- it seems to happen every time, like. I'll do my show and I'll do weekly episodes and I won't really be up to a whole lot of X-Men stuff like in between episodes. And then after it'll be like three episodes in a row where I'm like, all right, I got to get back into this. I got to get back into this. And then finally it's like, all right, that was the, like there's the straw that broke the camel's back. Now I'm going to, I've been pushed enough. Now I'm getting back into it. You know, Mm -hmm. it's, it's, (laughs) it's fun. Brett seems to be like a, like a spark plug, you know, like he, he got me back into (laughs) podcasting now he's right. like, oh, yeah, I'm reading Hickman. I'm like, oh, I should read it. So now I'm back reading Hickman. Like, it's all Brett's fault, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. But, um, oh, yeah. Okay, so, so the comic book topic that, that I had thrown out at you a couple months ago and, and that you brought up, which actually I'm happy you did because I read this and then I, like, just never got around to, like, like podcasting about it. The whole, I, I will, by the end of the episode, explain why I have not been podcasting all this year. But Dark Web, uh, the crossover between Spider-Man and the X-Men, and to my shock, Venom, uh, I know I had thrown that out at you because I looked at it and I said, this looks like it's so bad, it's probably worth like reading just to talk about how bad it is. And... I have, and then when you brought it up, I was like, oh, good, he finished it, because I had finished it and then never thought about it again. But like, what were your <laughs> thoughts about this as somebody who, this is very, I feel like it's kind of in our wheelhouses. It's very circled around 90s comics and mm-hmm. then bringing the, some characters into the 2020s. Yeah. Um, so I actually didn't, re- I didn't realize that it was this huge, like 20 issue event. So I just went, I went through, I read the three dark web X-Men issues and I was so lost. I was like, what am I missing? Um, And then I noticed that like at the back of each of the issues, like how did I miss it? You know, but like Mm -hmm. at the back of each of the issues, it has like the event checklist. Um, (laughs) So I went back through and looked at the actual event. I was like, oh yeah, there's like 20. So I missed like 17 (laughs) of, of the, of these like 20 issues. So yeah, I was pretty lost while I was reading it, but I I really enjoyed what I read. Um, again, like it kind of seemed like it was a brand new Inferno story, yes. but this time they're like, hey, we're gonna bring in a whole lot of X Men. I mean, a whole lot of Spider Man and Venom, mm-hmm. which makes sense, right? Because like the first Inferno event that we had way back in what was it, like eighty nine, eighty eight or eighty nine, mm-hmm. something like that, it mostly affected all of the X-Men titles, like even Excalibur was pulled into it. And even though we got to see certain Marvel characters kind of like show up and be in Inferno-ized, I don't know, demonized, um, 
even though we kind of got to see them, really the only character I think that it affected was like Daredevil. Maybe Daredevil and like Thor, it kind of moved into those issues and they actually had their own Inferno tie-ins. But like, I feel like the Avengers, it just completely skipped over them. Right. Spider-Man, it skipped over. The Fantastic Four. But like it's happening in New York. It's taking place in New York. And like mm-hmm. all of the Marvel heroes that matter are based out of New York. So it would make sense to have them all crossing over. It was interesting to bring in Spider-Man and kind of use Ben Riley mm-hmm. as like the trigger for all of this. Like the, the guy that kind of kicked it all off with his like talking to Madeline Pryor. That all just like just completely blew my mind because when I first was reading Ben Riley's Spider-Man stuff way back in the nineties, right? Like, a crossover with X-Men, let alone like Madeline Pryor and the Inferno <laughs> thing, like that never crossed my mind ever. Yeah. Like in my wildest dreams, I would have never been like, oh, you know who would make an interesting team? Uh, ben Riley and, and Maddie Pryor. Like what? Two clones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's not like they were both cloned by Sinister or both cloned by, uh, was it the Jackal? Yeah. Um, like two completely different characters, two very like flamboyant cloners. Maybe it's like a, Maybe it's a cloning thing. I don't know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but like just both very like look at me style villains uh, that have like a penchant for monologuing and everything, but also mm-hmm. love cloning. I don't, it's, it's weird. Um, but yeah, I, bringing those two characters together was, was really interesting. And it made like a really interesting crossover because we've had Spider-Man X-Men crossovers before, but nothing quite like this. Yeah. And I will say, I, I know that there was more than what I had even read. I think I only read the Spider-Man parts, the Venom parts, and the X-Men parts. And this also would have been over the course of the last, like, two or three months. Um, but there was, like, a Mary Jane and Black Cat tie-in. There was a Miss Marvel tie-in that I just, I, I never, like, bothered seeking out. They show up in Marvel Unlimited. You can, like, kind of backwards your way into finding them. But I will say that if you only read the X-Men stuff, you... You probably missed some context, but in my mind, what happens with the X-Men might be the most, like, actually, like, interesting and thing I'd like to see return to in continuity. Because you get kind of, like, this forgiveness between Jean Grey and Madeline Pryor to some extent, um, where, like, Jean, like, lets uh, Madeline, like, remember what it was like to raise Cable. Which is like, mm-hmm. I, I, and, and this is something that was a little unclear to me, like that I don't know if it's that Madeline had those memories and lost them, or if she just never had those experiences. So she, she's completely like just envious of Gene. I know full out Ben Riley at some point, I'm not sure who, but somebody wiped his memories. So he spends the entire crossover just angry at Peter Parker because he thinks Peter Parker stole all of his memories. And he he becomes this supervillain called Chasm, which is they've done my my boy dirty. I love Ben Riley, <laughs> but they they made him a villain for like he, I think he actually came back as the Jackal in some like 2017 series, and then he took over. He was basically corporate Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I think that was during I think that was, I think Zeb Wells also wrote that. Um, like that there was like a. I think it was like the Beyonder Corp or Beyond Corp. Like they basically bought the license to Spider-Man and Ben Riley was like corporate Spider-Man. 
And then I think it's at the end of that story, they wipe his memory and he just kind of becomes the bad guy. And that costume is horrible. And I, like, I'll even say the name chasm sounds bad, but I was like, Hey, maybe there's going to be some like reason why this makes sense. By the end of it, I'm just like, that was horrible. I don't, don't please make him Ben Riley again. Yeah. But, but overall, I, I would say it was an interesting event, but I would, but I did sort of like hate read it. <laughs> well, maybe we can do like a deep dive into it and take that into the Sanio cast at some point in the future and like really, we, and we can cry together about the <laughs> fact that like Ben Riley was an awesome superhero once. Yeah. And like he was a great, I mean, the Scarlet Spider is like one of the most iconic costumes that we've ever had. Um, I am right there with you. I absolutely love Ben Riley. I was like, I was just getting into Spider-Man in the nineties because the cartoon dropped in like 94. And mm-hmm. I was kind of like, it was on later than the X-Men cartoon was. And since I started sleeping in on Saturdays, I would wake up and watch Spider-Man. And right. <laughs> like I would try to record X-Men. And so like the last two seasons of X-Men, the animated series were kind of replaced by Spider-Man, the animated series. And like for a while in the nineties, Spider-Man was my favorite comic book character. And I was buying, like when we, we'd go to a comic shop, I would buy the Spider-Man comics instead of X-Men. I would get the Spider-Man trading cards instead of X-Men trading cards. And I remember picking up this random comic book and it on the cover it was like it was it had venom and it had the clone and it was like the the symbiote versus the clone who will win and it was like it clearly on the cover it looked like venom had like knocked scarlet spider unconscious and so i picked it up and i read it and i didn't realize that was like the first full issue that had ben riley as the scarlet spider like obviously we had ben riley before that and we had been introduced to this character and he'd been going on this journey to try to figure out who he was and where he belonged. And eventually he kind of realized, you know, Peter's the Peter's Spider-Man. I'm just nothing. And then he kind of has his, you know, great power, great responsibility moment, too, where he's like, no, I can't sit back and do nothing either. Like, I have to get a costume. Like, I didn't realize that, like, I'm reading the first issue that we see. Uh, Ben Riley, like in action as the Scarlet Spider. <laughs> and, and like, I've been a Ben Riley fan ever since, at least nineties Ben Riley. Like you said, man, they, they've, they've done him dirty for the last like two decades. <laughs> right. Well, then you, you remind me of that. The, the dark web event that, that there was Venom tie-ins, but oh my gosh, is there anything that I would suggest someone skip over more than the Venom tie? <laughs> The Venom storyline makes no sense as somebody who has not read Venom, like the Venom series. I, I I could not keep up with it, but like I think Madeline like resets him to like nineties Venom. So instead of being any story development, any character development he's had is just like deleted for this event and he's just like, I wanna eat your brain venom. <laughs> nice. <laughs> And then, oh jeez, oh god. Well, okay. At some point, he fights his son, who's in a venom suit, and he is transformed into a creature called Bedlam. And there was just a point when I was just like, I can't believe I'm reading this. What is this? (laughs) 
Nice. Yeah. yeah. Oh, comics are fun, right? <laughs> no, they're very fun. They're, they're, they're great. The good ones, the bad ones. I mean, right. Okay. I say that at the same time, I'm like half excited about, uh, this anthology series I came, I, I came across that I think is probably going to be capping off soon. That's just called, okay. What is it? I have it right here. I have issue one and two of Extreme Venom Verse. It's basically the Spider Verse, but with Venom. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I think what it, I think I think the event's already started, but it's leading into some event where, if I understand correctly, Carnage is going across the multiverse, killing all the Venoms. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah, pretty much yeah, Spider Verse, but with Venom. Okay. And that's why I'm reading it on Marvel Unlimited because it's probably not worth the money. But if I'm already paying, every comic I read is getting me closer to that subscription price. Yep, there you go. Exactly. <laughs> oh, <laughs> see, that sounds like something that my son would love. Like my older son, mm-hmm. um, he loves Venom. He, he's a big Spider-Man fan. Uh, he's a big X-Force fan, but, like, the thing that – the last few times I've, like, handed him the iPad and been like, here, man, just play around on Marvel Unlimited, usually what he's been reading is Venom stuff. Like, he read um, – he's making his way through, like, the Donny Cates Venom run from, like, the okay. mid the mid 2010s mm-hmm. uh, and that's where he's – I think he's, like, three or four story arcs. Like, I think he just finished Venom Island, um, and it's starting a new storyline – so he's been reading that. Like he loves Venom. He loved uh, Lethal Protector. Uh, he yeah. loved License to Kill. Like he he really loved those storylines. Um, Venomverse sounds like something that he would be all over. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not half bad. It I, the what I'm reading the the Venom Extreme Venomverse stuff is like an anthology series where you're getting kind of like. I've got, I mean, when you've got a, a Venom verse, you probably want to be able to see some of the Venoms. And like the one that stood out the most to me was there's a version of Earth where when Spider-Man originally gets the black uh, costume and he realizes that it's bad, like Black Cat sneaks in to try to like steal stuff from the Fantastic Four's base and accidentally gets the Venom costume. But instead of like turning her into like a monster, they both just like coexist as like, hey, we're both like damaged creatures, aren't we? Yeah, let's work together. And it's like not this horrific nightmare. It's just like, hey, yeah, no, we're like, we're like just vibing. <laughs> like realize they were actually kindred spirits and yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's cool. <laughs> I'm excited to see if she shows up later in the actual like event that's going on. Yeah. Nice. Oh, man. Yeah. but either way, I think it's yeah, time to talk uh, about Mr. Sinister. Yeah, I think uh, I, it's, it's a short episode, but, uh, you know, it's it's a long – we both had long weeks, and uh, you're in here on short notice, so I don't want to keep you too long. If you're ready to jump into the episode, man, let's do it. Absolutely. This is This is an episode. All right, so for today's episode, we are covering X-Men the Animated Series, Season 5, Episode 9, penultimate episode of the final season. This episode is called Descent, written by Stephen Melching and Dave McDermott. It first aired September 6th, 1997. 
story edits from Eric Leewald and directing from Frank Squillis. So I think when this, when, so we're recording this like a week before the end of August, but I, I think this one will come out, unfortunately, like the weekend before September 6th in real time. So that would have almost been like, Hey, 26 years later, but still. Oh yeah. <laughs> All right, Ryan. So uh, as I do with all of my returning guests, I kind of have them kick us off. So why don't you walk us through our openings? So the episode starts out in what I thought was just a flashback to nine, to 1888. Little did I know we'd be in the that time period for the entire episode. But <laughs> we're we're shown uh, the origins of Nathaniel Essex, who's sort of built up in this montage that is like setting the stage for like this who this guy is and it's sort of casting this like this guy's very mysterious and I, I wanted I wanted to compare him to Jack the Ripper and then I had to stop and go wait was Jack the Ripper actually in this episode? <laughs> uh I think he is. I think he's very briefly in the episode, but like basically uh an ancestor of Professor X has been like talking about how he's been trying to look for Nathaniel Essex for over a decade now. And I don't know. It was a very powerful opening for, for a cartoon, I'll say. Yeah. Especially for X-Men, you know, like we've, we've gone all around the world. We've gone to space. We've gone to different dimensions and we've gone to the future. Um, and we've gone to the past before as well, but like in the middle of a big two part story, I don't think we've ever actually started an episode like way back in the past, let alone like Victorian London, mm-hmm. um, like 1860s, 1880s London, like that, those couple of decades right there. I don't think we've ever actually been to this point in time in X-Men before. And yeah, we get, like you said, this kind of this montage sequence. It's, it's kind of changing scenes very quickly in this opening sequence while we get this like sort of pseudo voiceover from mm-hmm. this ancestor of Xavier. It's a very cool opening though. It's one that like, it's so different that it, it can't help but draw you in. You're like, whoa, where are we? What's going on? Like whose story is being told? Cause we've already had. Magneto and Xavier, like we've seen their origins. We've seen Apocalypse from way back when. Um, I feel like even at this point in real life, like in 1997 X-Men comics, I don't think that we had really gone back and like delved into the origins of Mr. Sinister before. I think we've had some like allusions to certain things. He had mentioned things from his past and all that. And like there were implications that he was alive during this time. But mm-hmm. I don't think that, like, even in the books yet, it had been established how he came to be the Mr. Sinister that we all know and love. So it's this episode is really cool because I feel like this was one of the earliest, like, attempts to kind of tell that story of how Nathaniel Essex became Mr. Sinister. Yeah, and I'll even say that, just, yeah, I mean, like, the the mood is set, like, so instantly, like we're not in modern day. You just got uh Essex running around like chasing people. He's got the the glowing red eyes, but like it's yeah, very clearly like a smoky London. 
Yeah, it's uh I was expecting to see like the Gotham by gaslight Batman come swooping in or something with like all the handsome cabs and like <laughs> obviously the like candle light, you know, that's the, the the obviously the gaslight lamps instead of electric lamps and everything. Like mm-hmm. I, I feel like last time I was in this era it was when I was watching the Gotham by Gaslight Batman animated film. Uh and so I was like I was having like flashbacks to that thing too which also of course features like a jack the ripper type story you can't really go to victorian london and and not tie something in you know it's like one of the greatest mysteries in in modern history right so it's there's a lot of room to kind of put your own stories into there and the backdrop of that with like using that to explain sinister's origin is Mm -hmm. like very creepy um, definitely would go over like the, the head of a child. Um, but rewatching this as an adult, it's like, oh wow, like they're not getting super dark with what they're doing, but like they're making references to a lot of stuff that we know, uh, as adults is like, is extremely dark stuff. Yeah. I, I was talking to my wife about true crime ish stuff today and just realizing like some of the true crime ish stuff from our own lifetime where I'm just like, yeah, I wasn't paying close attention to that or that, but now having looked back into it, I'm like, yeah, this was much more sinister <laughs> in reality. It's it's funny how that kind of happens where you're just like, yeah, Jack the Ripper, and then you're just like, yeah, but he was a, it was horrible. Yes, like that was bad, bad, bad stuff. Some of the worst things that have happened. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the the worst thing that can happen to a person. Um, right, and it, and it was done several times. Um, and then the the fact that it's it's never been solved or anything like that. There's just there's so much intrigue and, and mystery around it. It's just it's interesting that that's what they that's what they chose to go with. Um, but like for a character like Mister Sinister, it it kind of works. Um, mm-hmm. The way that they like weave his origins and and how he um, kind of like I wouldn't say devolves, but like how his uh, his research into genetics kind of evolves. That you're like, okay, yeah, I could see that if a character like Mr. Sinister did exist in that time, like, yeah, he, he would have had his fingerprints all over that. Yeah, and then I guess just, like, moving forward in the episode, well, I guess it, I think it's a flashback. Cause, oh, yeah, yeah, because at this point in the opening, they're <laughs> looking for Mr. Sinister, but then you flash right. back to just, like, learning how, well, they also tie in Charles Darwin. And I love about this where, like, they're all skeptical of Darwin. There's like, yeah, but like, what is, how do you, how does this make sense in a world of, of like monotheism? And he's like, but, but, but this is what happens. And then just to have like Essex say, like, I don't remember precisely when this comes up, but basically to be like, well, there is evolution over hundreds of years, but what about evolution over a generation? And you're just sort of like getting this like kind of twisted point of view while it's a very like, straightforward guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm trying to think, like, when do they tie in that he's like testing on his wife? I, I, I or the, Oh yeah. 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 Cause they, cause they, at first Xavier's, uh, uh, um, descendant says that like they had a different doctor working on her because it wasn't ethical for, for you, for you to work on your wife. But then it becomes very clear that like, Essex is probably treating his his uh, terminally ill wife on the side. Oh yeah, yeah, and and eventually we do find out that 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 is in fact what he's doing. 
so yeah, eth- ethics and Essex, uh, they, they, they don't tie together very well. Um, Essex, even at this point in his career is still like, he's already a mad scientist, mm-hmm. mad geneticist, you know, uh, he's already this evil creature. Not well, not necessarily he's already evil, but he's already to the point where he's like obsessed with mutations now. Um, Going back to the Darwin sequence, it's like we have the the interesting lecture and and like yeah the Xavier descendant James James Xavier um, James <laughs> is like you know what about monotheism and Darwin's like well you know like I've so far I've only applied my theory to like small smaller creatures and then yeah Essex comes in and he's like well you know what about when uh, what about when there's like a, when evolution leaps forward and it was like oh cool like these. That's like the the um, Patrick Stewart Professor X like opening of like the X Men movie where mm-hmm. they he's talking about evolution and how you know usually it takes place over millennia and it's very slow but every few hundred generations you know evolution skips forward like that's all I could think about and I was like uh oh like does Xavier know that he's paraphrasing Essex at this point? <laughs> um, but he uh Essex like he goes to Darwin and he's like, hey, you know, I, I've really enjoyed your your research, but like let me present to you some of my research. I think I can demonstrate like mutation. Mm-hmm. And uh Darwin and um Darwin and there's a couple other scientists, and of course James Xavier goes and I think at this point is is when we get the reveal that Essex's wife is also sick and that that's how Essex and Xavier know each other since Xavier is the like Gray family physician and mm-hmm. Essex is married to uh, Rebecca Gray, which you have to wonder, like, is that family? Are they the ancestors of Jean Gray? You know, right. Like, yeah. You have to ask that. <laughs> they yes, never I kept waiting anything, for a but, Summers yeah. to get dropped, too. Yeah, right. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Like, and that would have been like why he's been obsessed with their line. But yeah, somewhere else, I guess, down the line is when he meets the a Summers and becomes obsessed with the Summers Gray union. Um, yes. But yeah, I love that his wife is Rebecca Gray, because obviously there's the ramifications there. Plus, with like Xavier being the doctor to the Grays, because, you know, Professor X was helping Gene. So you have like kind of history repeating itself. Uh, but he shows Sinister has found people who are obviously they're mutants. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, he brings Darwin and all of these colleagues in and he's showing them what these people can do. And like one of them is able to kind of like conduct electricity when he's near it. One of them is able to like boil water in a beaker that he's holding in his hand mm-hmm. and you know, we're looking at it like, oh, man, it's mutants. Cool. Like mutants existed way back then. But like Charles Darwin is not impressed. And he, right. he refers to it specifically as parlor tricks and quackery, which I, I love that line. So I'm going to start using that one whenever I'm not impressed with something. Just be like enough of your parlor tricks and quackery. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's got to be a, a hit to the ego. You're, you're sitting here talking to your mentor and he's just like, yeah, what else you got? the guy who inspired you in the first place and he's like meh like this is obviously this isn't true and you'd think that like the one the the dude who inspired you to become the geneticist that you are would be just as interested in the breakthroughs that you've made and instead he's like meh (laughs) like his nonsense (laughs) i i 
Sinister is kind of the name of the game in this episode, too, because it's like the ramifications of Nathaniel just having these mutants like that he's found, like caged in a like a cellar or something is also like kind of dark for a kid's show. Yes. Yeah. I think eventually they they mentioned that uh, Nathaniel Essex himself was a doctor and he like ran an asylum so you know that he's just been going around finding mutants, kidnapping them, saying mm-hmm. they're crazy or whatever, and then oh, throwing yeah, yeah, them yeah. into an asylum where he has free reign to do whatever twisted experiments he wants. And, and yeah, we, we actually see that he is experimenting on these people, but he's begun to, like, experiment on himself. And this is where we actually see that he's taken – like mutant DNA from some of these people that he's like forced into his asylum. And this Mm -hmm. is where he gets his like pale skin and his red glowing eyes and his like ability to heal or, or at least withstand certain things. Like I think he like holds his hand over a candle or something like that. And like, it doesn't burn. Yeah. He heals. Right. Yeah. Um, So we're starting to see like, all right, well he's, he's turned the corner. He is now like, he's fully evil now. (laughs) Like there's no going back. He's now Mr. Sinister. Yeah, like, I I feel like just skimming over this episode and, like, broad sweep is what's going to happen here. But, like, just, oh, gosh, I'm trying to even think about, like, once he goes, like, the white skin and he's, like, just kind of fully embraced, like, I am Mr. Sinister. It, 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 I guess the larger topic that I was thinking of saving for the end is, as the X-Men, like, guy, how close is this to, like, what Mr. Sinister's origins were around the time that the show was coming out? Like, was this kind of close to, like, what they had shown off in the comics? Yeah, I'm trying to, like, 1997, I I don't think that we'd had any of the, like, Sinister Origins stuff that we get later on. I don't think that we got the like apocalypse stuff until later, but I, I could be wrong. Like I could be very wrong and I could just be misremembering stuff Mm -hmm. out of order. But like, I would have sworn that like the apocalypse stuff where we actually learn that like it's apocalypse that kind of mutates Essex um, and like kind of becomes Essex's patron back in this era. I feel like that came in like the very early two thousands, but I, I'm not entirely sure, so I don't want to commit to that. But I feel like at this point in the late 90s, we knew that Sinister's name was Nathaniel Essex, and we knew that he had lived all the way back at this time, and that he was a geneticist that experimented in mutation back in Victorian London, you know, the, the, this era, the, the, the mid, with like the latter half of the 19th century in okay. in London, like we knew that he was there from the mm-hmm. comics, but I don't know if we had actually gone into like this much detail, at least not what we were getting in this episode. Yeah, because the sense I'd always gotten as somebody who hasn't really gotten too deep into the the lore of all it was that I always think of Nathaniel Essex as somebody who came from. I mean, if I was to take a shot in the dark, I probably would have said like that he was born in like the 1900s, like just right there at the turn of the century, right before the turn of the century. So this didn't contradict to that, but like, it's hard to know sometimes what is, I guess kind of like 
cutting a new path versus what was telling the story of the comics as is. Because, like, as we've talked about many times on the episodes I've been on, a lot of the stories are updated for the 90s, but are basically the same story you would have got in 1975. And Mm -hmm. Sinister is such a 90s character that it's hard to know, like, what they were, like, what was the chicken and what was the egg in in all of this. But to, like, yeah, to watch Essex basically abduct all these uh, mutants and, like, experiment on himself and then to, you know, have them break out because they use their powers after Sinister has shown everything to to Xavier. It's, it's like, it's, as we've kind of floated around several times, it's a very dark topic. Yes. <laughs> yeah, well, the, the 90s weren't afraid to kind of, like, push the envelope with what was allowed and, and, and what wasn't. You know, they, I feel like the 90s kind of moved the line a lot further than where it had been, you know, the sixties, seventies, eighties, there were kind of lines that you didn't cross and things you mm-hmm. didn't do. I feel like the nineties just as a decade, not specifically X-Men comics or even comics as a medium, but just like as a decade, right? Like I feel like the nineties really kind of pushed the line, <laughs> not necessarily as far as it could. Cause obviously the, the, we're still getting the line pushed even now. Um, but I feel like it really pushed the line, as far as like, oh, it's fine. Like we can adapt terrible things for for kids as long as we don't flat out show it. But like we can rake, we can make references to terrible things. We can set things in the the terrible time frames and all that, and allow that to be a backdrop for adult fans. Um, where we kind of like not dumb it down, but like just kind of gloss over a lot of that terrible stuff, like. At least we see in the scene where Xavier finds all of these people locked mm-hmm. up, but like he at least tries to save them and then they're able to save themselves while he and Essex scuffle fight and fight yeah. and everything. So like they don't just leave them locked up, you know, like we at least get to see them escape. Of course, then an angry mob is like they're witches because, you know, they have powers and it's the 1800s and all that. They shoot fireworks. <laughs> get them. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, evil. Clearly they're evil. Like, obviously they're just scared. Um, but no, we'll, we'll just call them evil because we're also scared. Right? Like, that's kind of, I mean, that's like mob mentality even to today. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like it's a lot of dark themes in this episode. I know that, uh, I'm going to name drop him again, but our good buddy Brett Scott, he had sent me, uh, like a YouTube video maybe six or seven months ago that was like an interview that the writers, Stephen and Dave, had done at like a mm-hmm. random Comic Con, like Pensacon or something, where someone was asking them about this episode in particular, and they're like, oh yeah, this was easily like the darkest episode of X-Men, the animated series that had ever been written. He's like, there's a lot of stuff that we put in this episode that we didn't think would get past the censors and mm-hmm. they just let it all go through. Like at one point we actually see the foot of a corpse. Um, they don't flat out say like, look at this corpse. And then it like zooms to the foot, but mm-hmm. they're hunting Essex. They go into a room where they believe he was. And in the foreground, you see this foot and right. they're like, do you see he is a monster? And it's like, they're implying that there's like a mutilated corpse right there in this room. And yeah. like, there are six year olds watching this episode. <laughs> true, true, true. Yeah. I, I think even just the choice to basically have 
zero X-Men, literal zero X-Men besides Xavier in the episode was also like kind of a brave decision. And I think the other thing that I kind of kept waiting for was I kept assuming that Xavier, James Xavier was going to show off some kind of mutant ability. He never does. He just kind of like saves the mutants and then like make sure that they're aware that like he's not Essex. Right. Oh, but then I mean, after all, at, at the end of everything, we, we, we finally get Mr. Sinister taking on the moniker of Mr. Sinister. And I guess it, like, it's almost like, ha- I, maybe I misread this, but it almost seemed like it was half implied that like, it was, the entire episode was sort of like in the mind of Xavier as he's like thinking back through like, what is the origin of, of Mr. Sinister? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I do feel like they do kind of imply that at the very end, right? So um, before we get to that last scene with Xavier mm-hmm. in his bed, we could probably just finish a quick recap of, of what's left because there's not much left in the episode to discuss, right? We've we've already talked about the fact that the the mutants that ex, uh, the, excuse me Essex <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, was holding, like they've they've gotten free. One of them runs into a church. Xavier goes in there and he's like, hey, I'm not like I I want to help you. And mm-hmm. then they go outside. The mob is yelling at him. And Xavier's like, no, 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 no. These are just normal people that like don't you don't have to be afraid of them. Who you should be afraid of is like is that guy, you know, and he like points to the back of the mob. Everyone turns around and there's like the the snow white Mr. Sinister now. Oh, right. His, yeah. With his skin. They chase him back to his house light it on fire, he escapes, and um, and that's pretty much it. And then it's Xavier in, you know, quote-unquote present day, which is 1888 or somewhere around there. And he's like, I've, I've, I've followed him every ever since, and I've never been able to find him. All that we got from the house, I found his journal, mm-hmm. and so I was able to piece together some stuff. Uh, Rebecca's father spent the rest of his life like trying to care for these mutants that Essex found. And then mm-hmm. he says that like they all went and like lived in the sewers, which I thought was kind of cool. Cause it's like, all right, oh, we know that Morlocks. sister kind of creates the Morlocks in, in America. Obviously he makes like the first Morlocks in London as well. Uh, I thought that was like just a fun little line that it's like, you know, blink and you miss it kind of thing. Cause it's not, there's not anything on the screen. It's just the voiceover. And then he says that, like, Rebecca never spoke again after that. And then from there, we're back in the present day. And this is where you were mentioning, like, we see Mr. Sinister, like, full up. I'm Mr. Sinister. He's wearing, like, his really cool, like, Victorian outfit, you know. Uh, And that's this is where we get the Jack, the actual Jack the Ripper that you had mentioned at at the top of the breakdown. When you're like, I think Jack's in it. Like, yeah, at this point, Jack the Ripper comes in with a box. And he's like, I got what you want, Essex. And he's like, call me Mr. Sinister. I know you didn't. I said I wanted someone alive. So it's like, whoa, there's there's some more darkness. Because the implication there is that he sent Jack the Ripper out to bring him a living person. Mm-hmm. But knowing who Jack the Ripper is and what he took from his victims, and he walks in with this box and he hands it to uh-huh. Essex, you know what's in that box. Like, this is not seven. We know exactly what's in there. It's in the box, yeah. <laughs> and, and then 
you it we cut back to James and we think okay like James and the police officer guy they're going to they're going to get Essex and they get to that room and Essex is like 10 steps ahead because when they get in the room all that's left is a candle and the candle is sitting on a book and it's the origin of the species copy that Essex owned that was signed by Darwin. Yep. Oh and yeah. And then and then we see like a boat like a you know like the Mayflower obviously not the Mayflower because that was 200 years earlier uh, right. but we see a boat you know crossing an ocean and we just hear laughter so we know that Essex is on no that way. boat coming back and and then that takes us into our final scene so I think you can probably walk us through this final sequence and then um, we can kind of talk about Xavier. Yeah, so they they find the the book on the floor, the origin origin of the species, and yeah, like James takes it into his arms or whatever, and then they this is when we flash forward to to Xavier, and he's got the same book, and he like puts it away in his nightstand or whatever, but like yeah, just this this kind of multi generational story where it's like the Xaviers have always known about Essex and. Who knows if it's like something that they actually like passed down or if it was just there's a man named Mr. Sinister. <laughs> but yeah, for, but I guess overall, the fact that this is the penultimate episode is like just boggles my mind because this is so <laughs> a nothing episode that's so packed with like interesting lore that can't have meant anything in 1997 at the end of it. Right. Like, especially for someone who had like started watching X-Men with this season mm-hmm. because we've had, a, we, we had sinister in the first two episodes with the phalanx and they, obviously we know that he's a bad guy because we watched the first four seasons. We know that the X-Men have faced off against him. We know that he's sided with apocalypse. We know all of these things, but if, if the phalanx episodes were your first episodes that you've mm-hmm. watched, you are kind of like, okay, I think that guy's a bad guy. Um, but you only know that his name is Mr. Sinister. You don't know that he's Nathaniel Essex. And so if you're watching this episode, you don't know who this guy is until like halfway or maybe even three quarters through the episode. Whereas like they say Nathaniel Essex, we know right away, like, cool, it's Mr. Sinister. But like they wouldn't have been able to make that connection until he says, I'm Mr. Sinister. And then you're like, oh, it's that guy? Like, I didn't realize he was such a bad guy. Like, I knew that, he, you know, him and Beast obviously were didn't see eye to eye, but we didn't realize he was a villain. Um, and then you get this episode. You, it would have been almost not necessarily completely lost, but, yeah, it, would, like, would not have had the impact if this was, like, a season two or three episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I would say overall, like, I give credit to – the people that made the show, not only for not having any X-Men in the show, but also just sort of like burying the lead. Like, if you don't know, it, I guess it, it would be akin to if somebody was able to get into Star Wars, watching it in, like, the actual numerical order, to be like, oh, what, what, Anakin, what, what, what's happening? And, and and obviously in this case, like, you're watching a literal villain who starts out nefarious become even more nefarious, but just mm-hmm. that would be interesting to, to like walk into this, not knowing that Nathaniel Essex is Mr. Sinister 
and being like, oh, damn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you really get to see in this episode, like, where his obsession with genetics comes from. Like, the, the things that we know about Mr. Sinister from season two and, and three mm-hmm. and four, like, we definitely see the beginnings of that. So as an origin story, I feel like this was actually a really great origin story to be told after the fact. Like, it really did a great job with showing us how Essex went from, like, he was a doctor, he was a married man, to he was desperate about his wife. He started studying genetics, and then he just spun out of control and (laughs) became, like, one of the most evil people, like, in history. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, like, it's really cool, and they managed to do it in, like, 20 minutes. Like, this episode, it didn't really, like, it skipped around from different times, but it was, it always told the story in the order that you needed the story to be told. Like, there wasn't needless flashing around. It was like, we're going to take you, we're going to introduce you to this weird mystery and this character who's, like, super intense about hunting down this villain, and then we're going to go to the beginning and just tell it in order. Like, I I thought that they did a really great job with, uh, like, the time management. There wasn't, Mm -hmm. like, any wasted time. Like, they showed all the things they needed to show to see him, like, slowly falling I mean, it's we get the the title of the episode, Descent. Like, we get to see his descent into madness and m- sinister machinations. Like, we get to see all of that. We get to see it from start to finish. And it was, it was a really great episode. Yeah, I, I guess that was like my thought as I was, like, driving around to get dinner tonight. was like, what am I going to say about this episode? And I, I, I guess at the end of it, it's like, I, I don't know that I would say that it was a great episode. But I think it was a very interesting episode and a nice palate cleanser in terms of like just like the, what this show is capable of. Yeah, it might even be a great episode, but it, it, <laughs> it's a, it's definitely a vacuum episode, right? Like this is one that you, you don't need to see anything before or after. Um, it's just it's right there where it is. It's like completely self-contained. You'd mentioned there's no X-Men in this episode. We barely get regular present-day Charlie Xavier. And so I think in a way, even though this was such a strange episode and you're saying it's a palate cleanser, I think I would agree with that because it brings all of our thoughts to Xavier and how long his family has been embroiled in the mutant stuff. And then when we get into our finale and with what happens with Xavier there and his whole legacy and the X-Men and everything, like it actually works. Like it doesn't set up the finale in any way, shape or form, which is why it's such a weird penultimate episode. But at the same time, it brings that focus back to Xavier, even though this episode was Essex's story, it's Mm -hmm. still framed through a descendant of Xavier and it, ends with Xavier contemplating mutation and all of this stuff, which I think is in and of itself, like is actually a pretty cool lead in to what we're going to get in the finale episode. <sighs> yeah, I, 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 well, I mean, it was one episode, so I, I'm certainly going to watch the finale. Cause I don't know that I've ever actually seen how the show ends. I've heard, Oh, wow. allusions to it before <laughs> um but very very similar to the end of uh x-men evolution where like i remember watching that and just being like this is how this show ends <laughs> yeah 
Yeah, the X-Men time. Evolution ending very felt very rushed. Like, I hate to say that, but it did. It was just kind of like, oh, by the way, we're going to wrap up everything. Here's a possible future. And you're like, whoa, hey, what? <laughs> like, hold on. <laughs> what about all these storylines? They're like, nah, nah, never mind. <laughs> yeah, that was such an ambitious show, but... With every cartoon, it seems like you get something that's really ambitious and then it just, it doesn't get its full time to, mm-hmm. to really blossom into what it could be. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I love X-Men Evolution. I thought the first three seasons were excellent. And then, I mean, what, with what they had for the fourth season, I still thought that they did a great job. Um, but yeah, I would have preferred like a more finale feel. To the actual mm-hmm. finale, I, th- I feel like it. We got what, like ten episodes, I think, in the final season, and they probably were expecting thirteen, which was their normal um, amount. And so I, I feel like they probably thought they were going to get thirteen episodes, and then they got ten. They're like, oh no, we we forgot that we only have ten. Let's let's wrap it up. Um, the the finale that we get for the animated series, I don't want to talk about it too much because I'll, I'll be talking about that next week. But right. Um, I do still feel like it's pretty good. Um, we'll see. We'll see how I feel after I like rewatch it and get ready for my actual episode. But like, I, I feel like it was good enough. Like it, it kind of wrapped up some storylines, but it at least left everything like hopeful. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. We'll, we'll see. We'll see how I feel when I watch it and do the show. But if you haven't even seen it, like you got to watch it, Ryan. Oh, I have to. Yeah. <laughs> after all this journey, like I have to. <laughs> Nice. Well, awesome, dude. This has been a great breakdown and a great discussion about this episode. Um, yeah, it's, I, I don't know how I feel about all of this coming to an end. It's possibly your, your last appearance, at least your <laughs> last appearance for X-Men, the animated series. I'm still, I don't know how I'm going to approach X-Men 97 or what I'm going to do for that. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I do continue to do like the, the host and, uh, guest host, that obviously like you're in the rotation. So. Right. Um, I'm sure we'll bring you back if, if that's what I, if that's what I end up doing. Um, but I just want to say, Ryan, thank you so much for, for always being, uh, interested in, in X-Men and always willing to come on and talk X-Men with me. I feel like at least half of your appearances on Snicktoons were like short term notice where you had maybe a couple of days, maybe <laughs> a week. And so I just, I really appreciate you always being flexible and coming on, being such a great guest host. I've had a lot of fun, all the episodes that you've been on. So thank you very much for Absolutely. coming here. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's been fun. It, I, I, I give you all the credit in the world for actually making it through the entire series. A lot of people would probably start out. Um, it's kind of like going back to Brett, like when, when he was talking about all of his Marvel plus stuff. And it's just like there would be people where they watched the, they they podcasted about the first four episodes of WandaVision and the first episode of Falcon and the Winter Soldier and they like never finished it and you know he committed to doing it and you've committed to doing this and like you, if anything once the next episode's over you can close the door and say if nothing else I did every episode of this show yes. Yeah, it, it, I definitely feel a sense of accomplishment. Um, I, I know that in the last few years, I feel like especially since the announcement of X-Men 97, we've seen quite a few like rewatch 
podcasts pop up and mm-hmm. it looks like a couple of them have actually finished the series already. A couple of them are like, there's I think one or two that are like pretty close to where I'm at. Um, but like, even I, I still feel like a big sense of accomplishment. Like I've been working on this, doing the Snicktoons thing for like two and a half years. I think now I, I think I started covering the cartoons in like late 2020. Well, no early 2021. So it's been like two and a half years of me, Going through, not necessarily week by week, because it would have only taken like a year and a half, but um, still going through like season by season, getting these episodes done. It's been a lot of fun. I've I've made a lot of new friends. I've met a lot of people that are like-minded, great podcasters, big X-Men fans. So, yeah, I, I feel uh, like a pretty big sense of accomplishment knowing I've got one episode left. I have it scheduled. I'm really excited <laughs> for my guest host coming back for that finale it's going to be great and uh you're a big part of that success too ryan so so thank you very much (laughs) all right bub so there you have it that is my conversation with ryan sanio so Super glad to have him back. Um, as you heard, this was kind of a last-minute deal. Uh, he didn't really have more than uh, a week, really, to prepare, uh, if even that long. So, uh, again, I, I really appreciate him coming on. I know this is kind of a, a shorter episode compared to how the episodes have been going this season. Uh, but, yeah, just a big thanks to Ryan for jumping in, having a great conversation, talking about games and x-men and mr sinister and then of course getting to break down the episode descent such a great episode and it was a lot of fun to have ryan on for that one he is um, a big archangel fan but i know in the past he had said that he uh, is a big fan of mr sinister as well so it was cool to have him on for that episode as far as future episodes for Snicktoons, you may have noticed this is the penultimate episode of the series, X-Men, the animated series. So next week, of course, myself and a returning special guest will have broken down the series finale. Uh, as far as what comes after that, uh, I'm not quite sure. So just stay tuned and uh, we'll see if I've got anything to come out, uh, I hate to to not do anything until X Men ninety seven drops because as of right now, it is looking like that has been delayed to twenty twenty four. I don't know if there's been an official announcement yet, but I know it definitely seems that it's going that way. So it's definitely going in that direction. So probably looking at a big delay for X Men ninety seven. But good news, we've got uh, one more week, one more episode of X-Men, the animated series, really excited for this returning guest. So it should be a really great episode. So just stay tuned and we'll see where it goes from there. Bub, if you like the show and want to continue the conversation, you can send me an email, talksnicked at gmail.com. Always happy to hear from listeners, whether it's feedback or kudos or criticism, whatever you feel like sending my way. As long as it is podcast related, then feel free to send something at uh, talksnicked at gmail.com. If you're looking for something a little bit more interactive, consider joining the Talkin' Snicked Discord. Link to the show notes, small little community over there, mostly myself and the other special guest hosts. Um, 
So yeah, it shouldn't take up too much of your time, but if you're a fan of Wolverine, if you're a fan of the X-Men, and if you're a fan of the show, then consider joining the Talk and Snicked Discord. Until next time, bub.